All right, well, we are excited today when John uh, John called me up, uh, I don't know, it's been a number of weeks ago, six weeks ago or so maybe, and uh, said, hey, I want to come to your church. I said, man, I've been waiting for you to come to our church again. <laughs> he said, no, I want, to, I, want to, I want to share, I want to speak. And I said, well, I don't even need to pray about that. Um, <clears throat> I already know the answer to that, and the answer is already already yes. Um, because I already know his heart, and uh, we're excited. He's got two team members with him, and uh, I'll let him introduce and, and talk about all that. But we're excited today to hear about what's going to go on in Columbia, but also what God is just doing in your heart, and then what he wants to share with us from his heart. And so if you just want to, whoever's coming up first, come on up. Let's welcome them today. So, Awake, O sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That's the, the, the scripture that came to mind as Pastor Ashley spoke this morning, and I just wanted to start with that. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, there's few and far between in this crowd, but uh, if you don't know me, my name is John Poe. Uh, my kin is back there. Uh, I was saved probably about right here, and Miss Janae right over here, the lovely lady, prayed for me and prophesied over me. I was here when the carpet wasn't here, and we wrote on the floor. Scriptures all over the floor, if you remember that. Over about five steps here, I was baptizing the Holy Spirit with Pastor Ashley leading in that. And so this church is very much my home. I haven't moved my membership. Hopefully I'm still on the roll. Somebody needs to start checking me in if not. Okay? You know? And I don't know about you guys, but this morning, I was so blessed to freely worship. Now, I, I work at a, pa, uh, a church here in town. It's a Baptist church. I'm considering myself Bapticostal, okay? So some of you guys might be able to say amen to that. But I love, I love the church I'm at. It's been a huge blessing. It's, uh, I'm able to go to Columbia with what they're doing for me. And, um, but I also love my church here, and I want to worship with you guys, and I want to share the word that God has given for me, to me for you. And so before I do that, I'd like to introduce Ryan Rodriguez. Some of you might know him as Twig. Stand up, please. Wave to him. Uh, uh, Ryan spent two years in Ireland. He'll tell you more about that in just a second. Yeah, but he was also here last summer, so you guys know, know him a little bit. And then Olivia Osterlin. She is our, another member of our team. She, uh, this is her first time here, I believe, right? So, amen. So, uh, she, she won't be speaking today, but we just wanted to bring her along so you guys had a face. To the video. So uh, before I speak, here's the kind of the rundown of what's going to happen today. Twig's going to get up. He's going to tell you his story. We're going to watch a video. Then he's going to break down uh, Columbia for you through our slideshow. When he's done, I'm going to get up and I'm going to share the sermon or the word of the Lord that he's given me for this church here this morning. So having said that, if you have lunch plans or if you're trying to catch a football game or something, you might just want to cancel that. Because we'll be here, okay? We'll have an intermission between me and Twig. And get up, use the restroom, get yourself some more coffee, okay? If you at any point need to shake it off, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get ready, okay? So uh, having said that, Twig, if you'd come on up, man, we'll have him speak. Yeah, so uh, I had Twig go really fast because sometimes I talk a lot. Uh, just a quick couple numbers just to update you guys. And I want to personally thank you for your contributions from this church um, I left this church and went to Wayland to play football and get an education to a missions degree. And, uh, and I saw in my college time 
when I went to Wayland, the Lord told me, don't take out any loans. Um, if you take out loans, you'll be in debt. You'll be trapped in, in America, and I got somewhere I want you to go. And so told me not to do that. Through this church and other resources available to me, I watched over $50,000 come in and pay completely for my education. On top of that, we've been fundraising for about two months solid, and we've seen, this is a low number, but we've seen over $40,000 come in just with almost hardly any effort. I mean, the Lord has just really blessed this team. The Lord is really pouring out on this team. And um, we have a heart for college students. I have a heart for college students. I have a heart for sports. I have a heart to, to really sit down and disciple one-on-one coffee time. So Columbia is great. They got good coffee, <laughs> right? Um, and so if you, the main university there in, in Bogota is uh, about 50,000 students. So to give you some perspective, Texas Tech is 35,000 students. So we're dealing with a large number of students, and this is the most prestigious college there in Bogota. So they get students from every department in Colombia, and they come there. And the departments are set up by population. So Bogota is the largest population density uh, city in Bogota. The next is Medellin. So as we church plant, as we disciple, as, as God brings the increase, we send out according to the next largest group. So it's a very strategic plan. The Lord gave us this vision statement. I mean, if you want to hear that story, take us to lunch. Uh, we would love to share that with you. But the Lord gave us this vision statement. And even this week, me and Twig breaking down those five uh, vision goals for us, we saw how it was the top part is very local and the bottom part is very country-based. It's just beautiful how the Lord's working that. So um, I don't mean to be quick about Columbia, but that's not why I'm here. Um, we, we do want you guys to be praying for us. We do want you to be partnering with us. And hopefully in the future we'll have some opportunities for some short-term mission trips that you guys can come and partner with us with. But it's not why I'm here. The Lord has been doing a great work. I mean, the last time I stood here was over a year ago when I preached my father's funeral. And since that time in my life, the Lord has just... That was a really hard thing. And I didn't realize it, but the two years prior to that event, I had been spiritually dead, burnt out. I was very mad at God, and I didn't know it. And when my dad died, it just ripped everything open. And my anger, my frustration with the Lord was at the forefront of everything in my life. And I couldn't get over this. And, and I was so mad at God because it wasn't that my dad had died. It was that the hope that we would have restoration in our relationship died with him for us on this earth, right? And that was what I was really mad about. And so the question that God had to ask me is, do you believe I'm good? Now, you can say that. Oh, God, yeah, you're good. God's good all the time and all the time. God's good, right? Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's go to lunch, right? But to see disaster happen in your life, to see the enemy come and try to destroy your life, you ask, we ask the question, where's God, right? So, in, for example, in the news this week, you saw the, the shooting happen this week, this past week, and then New York Times on the cover of their, their uh, on Thursday morning on the cover of their magazine or whatever, their newspaper, it says, God isn't going to fix this. And they were, they were slandering the, public, uh, the Republicans or the, the candidates, the presidential candidates, for saying our prayers and our hearts go out to the people who've, who've had loss and suffered. 
So media is attacking this thing. They're attacking Christians. If you don't know that, sorry to bust your bubble, but they're attacking Christians. Another thing is Tim Tebow, on Thanksgiving Day, his girlfriend broke up with him because he wouldn't go to bed with her. And so the morality standpoint there is they were like, well, he must be gay then because she's Miss Universe. She's the most attractive woman in the world, they say, you know? I don't know what's going on with this mic, but whatever. She's the most attractive woman in the world, so how could he not do that? But on the flip side of that, Bruce Jenner wins Woman of the Year. You know, the Bible talks about a time where we will call it what's evil good and what's good evil, right? And I believe we're living that out right now. So I kind of want to talk to us about the war that we seem to be sitting in this morning. I want to talk to us about how we can live out of victory and stop getting defeated all the time in our mind. If I step right here, is that good? There we go. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to start with going to the book of Job, but first I'm going to read out of John 10.10. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, that's the only place I want you to go to is John 10.10. John 10.10 reads, The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come so that you may have life and life abundantly. Hmm. So let's go to Job, okay? I've read Job on on Tuesday. I read 35 chapters of Job because I didn't understand what God was trying to teach me. And so I just had to sit down and say, okay, I got no more agenda for the day. Let's, Let's hash this out, Lord. And so... What the Lord began to show me, and if you've ever read the book of Job, the first two chapters are kind of the, the preference for the whole book. Okay, so what happens is, is the Lord's sitting on his throne, rightfully so, and he calls the hosts of the heavens to him. And Satan, being under his dominion, has to come and answer to the Lord of hosts, right? So he comes, and God asks him this, Where have you been? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro on the earth where you put me. Basically. And so God asserts his dominant once again. He, he charges them with his sentencing of his rebellion against God, saying, where, where did I put you? Don't you ever forget that I am on the throne. Where did I put you, Satan, on the earth where you did? And then he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He is a righteous man. He's a great man. Have you considered him? He's a good guy. Satan says, of course he's a good guy. Look how much you've given him. He's got several kids. He's got a land. He's got cattle. He's got houses on all that. Of course he worships you, God. He's a blessed man. You take all that away, he'll curse you. He will curse you, and he will forsake you. Now, I'm ad-libbing a little here to the Scriptures. hope you know. But it's the gist of the passage, right? So here's, here's what happens. God says, okay, you can attack him. Don't touch this person. All right, Satan goes out, does his work. Four servants come in that day. The second one says this, and I found it really interesting that he would say this. He says, I saw the fire of God fall down and destroy everything. I'm the only one who made it out. Job, after the fourth servant comes, he rips his robes, throws dust on himself, and he says, the Lord taketh and the Lord giveth. 
And it says right after that that Job did not sin because he did not blame the Lord. My question to you is who attacked Job? Satan. Satan attacked Job, but it's just like Satan for God to get the rat. That servant came in and says, I saw the fire of God fall down. But Satan's the one who put his hands on Job. So Satan goes back. God calls the host back again. Satan has to go back and he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. Oh, of course. Of course, God, there's no one like him. He's healthy. You take away his health and he'll curse you and he'll forsake you. All right? Take his health. Can't kill him. He goes and he gets these boils on his skin to where he has to take broken pottery and scrape this off. Now, how many of you would like to have a a treatment once a week where you got to get that scraped off? I'll just take a pill if that's okay. You know, (laughs) prefer that method over the pottery scraping. I don't know. Job's going really hardcore there. So, um, but Job, the next few chapters, we see that Job and his friends have this dialogue. Okay, where his, his friends are accusing him of sinning, and Job's saying, nope, I'm innocent. God must have turned himself against me. So I'll go to court with God is basically what he's saying. How can I go to court and, and debate with somebody so righteous, right? But he's, he has turned himself against me. He, he has made me his enemy, and therefore my life is in ruins. Now, I would just rather die. I wish I wasn't even born. Job loses everything. His kids, his wife leaves him. His land, his, his riches, and even his friends turned against him. And so we see this young man who's silent through the whole book stand up. Elihu, Elihu, I think is how you say it, stands up and he just says, Let me tell you, I've, I've listened to you wise men's talk and let me tell you what I have to say. Be silent, let me speak, and when I'm done you can, you can answer. And he begins to call out Job's arrogance begins to call out Job's pride and saying, who is righteous? Who can be righteous except for the Lord, right? And then the Lord himself steps in front of Job and says, brace yourself like a man because i got some questions for you and you're going to answer them. I don't want that. No thanks, God. Humble myself. But what happens is God humbles Job in that moment, okay? So here's, going back, I wanted to give you the whole book, 42 chapters there kind of help your understanding of Job. But let's go back to the beginning, the first two chapters. When the servant comes in, he says, I see the fire of God fall. When my dad died, it was the, must have been his time. Must have been the Lord, right? I've been in this church when we have prayed for people to be healed and not seen it. I've been in this church where I've tried to give a prophetic word and missed the mark completely. Or they just didn't respond. I've watched the news. You can turn it on and there's people being shot. There's people turning against authority. There's little kids who's being taken advantage of. There's darkness all the way around. And then in the midst of that, people are saying, where's God and why would He, being such a good God, allow these things to happen? So I want to ask you again, who attacked Job? That's right, because his MO is to kill, steal, and destroy. His MO is to kill, steal, and destroy your life. So let me, let me bring it back to you for this. 
If, if you have something attacking you, here's what happens. It's Satan. Recognize that. The Lord says that the sheep hear my voice. And they, the strangers, they will not follow. It's not, it's not God attacking you. It's not God al- allowing these things to destroy you. Sin has consequences. And we live in a fallen state. It was Satan in the garden. It's Satan in your home and in your mind. It's Satan in the streets. It's Satan in our world right now because he is trying to get us like him. Okay? Let me explain this. God created man in, our, in his image. In his image he created us, right? Then he placed us in the garden. And what Satan wanted was to, for us to forget our identity. He wants you to forget that you are son and a daughter of the Most High King. Because if you believe that you're just a lowly sinner, you will never walk in the power of God. Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God does not come with just words, but with power. And Satan wants to rob you of your power. Now, I'm not talking about being able to raise your hand and people get slain in spirit. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord is my strength. How many of us as Christians walk around dragging our feet? I'm so tired. I'm so worn out all the time. This, this Christian life is devastating me. <laughs> I'm serious. We get so bummed out. Because the joy of the Lord has been robbed from us. He's trying to come and steal, kill, and destroy our lives. Because we don't understand this one fact. Christ's innocence became our sin, so our sin could become his innocence. Did you catch that? Christ's innocence became our sin, so our sin could become his innocence. This is what it means. You are the righteousness of Christ. You're not a lowly sinner. You're not broken down. You're not unworthy. You are the glory of the Lord. When He looks at you, He doesn't see your sins. It says He casts them as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't see it. What He sees is the blood of Jesus drenching you, if you are in the Lord. And He he celebrates that as the Father does with the prodigal son, robing you in righteousness, putting a ring on your finger, throwing a festival for you because why? You are his son, not a servant. When the prodigal son tried to come back, guess what he was trying to say? Dad, I don't want to be your son. Can you just make me a servant? And the dad didn't even think about it. He, he had stated, he reinstated him as a son right there in the moment. And oftentimes when we come to God in our prayer life, when we come to God in salvation, we try to come in and say, God, listen, I know I've messed up. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not worth just about anything, okay? But if you could just use me, man, that'd be awesome. That ain't it. God, you are my father, I am your son. This is my rightful place. This is where I belong. I die to myself because it's never who I was created to be in the first place. This is who I am. The enemy wants to come and kill, steal, and destroy your life, but God comes so that you may have life and life abundantly. So that you may overflow with the joy of the Lord so that you will know. The scripture on that the first slide was that I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know it. Why? Because it's a promise. And God is faithful. He's good. I had to learn that the hard way this year. It's been a whole year of restoration. I had to not be afraid. Fear had gripped my heart so much, I had to not be afraid. And that's part of what Columbia is for me. It's, it's the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life. I have no idea what I'm doing. No idea. 
I don't work hard enough to plant a church. I'm not very good at coordinating events. It's got to be God. But if your dreams can be accomplished by you, then it's not God. It's got to be beyond you because then you, have, then you have to come to a place of dependency on the Lord. And you have to depend on Him because nothing can be accomplished without Him. Through Him, all things are accomplished. On the cross, it's finished by Him. We live from victory by Him. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the way you think. The patterns of your mind. I had a coach tell me this every year. We had to go, uh, first week of two days, we had these, these mini sessions throughout the day. Twig was there for one of them. I'm sure he doesn't remember him because he's got greater things to think about. But <laughs> what happened is, is we had about nine stations where each coach was talking to us about a different things. How we react to media, if we get interviewed, social media, protect that. That way nothing could get pinned back on the university and the, and the team, things of that nature. But one, the head coach was always concerned about raising up men, not football players. And this is what he told us. He said, the way you think becomes your actions. Your actions develop into habits. Your habits become your character, and your character is who you are. So in essence, if you can change the way you think, you change who you are. The way you think changes who you are. How many times do we enter into a prayer session or we, we feel the Holy Spirit impress on us, hey, pray for this person. And fear grips us because we don't know if we're able to do it. That is a lie from the enemy. And if you listen to that voice, that's not your shepherd. That's not God. And he wants to still kill and destroy your life. And that's part of it. You rob yourself of the joy and you rob them of the blessing. So let me ask you this, guys. What do you hear here? I have 14 scriptures. I'm way earlier than I thought I would be, but that's okay. We might get lunch on time today anyways. I have 14 scriptures here in a minute I want to read over you. But, oh, that's what I forgot. That's why I'm way early. I'm, I'm new. I'm new. Okay, in Matthew 16, 15, let's bounce up. Before I share these 14 scriptures with you, I want to go somewhere else. In Matthew uh, 16, 15, we see this question asked by Jesus. Who do you say that I am? The same question God had to ask me earlier this year. Do you say that I'm good? Who do you say that I am? Because see, when, if Job was to have said, God, you're my enemy, is that truth? Does that line up with anything else in Scripture? No, so that's a lie. Even though it's in the Bible, some things are not good that happen in the Bible. Like David killing people. Like that, they're in the Bible to teach us a lesson. Job says, you're my enemy, to show us that that's false. That's not God. Right? Oh, hello. So, here's the deal. God asked this, Jesus asked this to Peter and the rest of the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, after they banter on for a little bit, Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, flesh and bone didn't give you that. You didn't come up with that one on your own, Peter. Sorry to tell you, but you're just not smart enough. You didn't come up with that one on your own. My Father in heaven brought the revelation. 
You know, in the, in the Greek there, cephas is the word that we call Peter, and it means rock. And so oftentimes when we interpret this passage, we say, upon this rock, we will bu- I will build my church, is what Jesus said next. And we think that rock is Peter, and there's a whole denomination called Catholicism that's built on the Pope, right? And I love Catholicism. I love the Pope. Pope Francis is a great man right now. But that's not the rock. The rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And upon that rock, his cornerstone, God will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Why do we see that happen? He's like, well done, Peter. A couple of verses later, Peter's like, no, Lord, you're not going to die. He says, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set on things above. Because his mind was not set upon the rock. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Are your minds set upon the rock? Or do you still think carnally? When the Lord says, hey, give it all up. Go to Columbia. Like, well, Lord, I've got this, got this girlfriend. She's, she's a good thing. Give it all up. Go to Columbia. i got a nephew that if I don't make sure we FaceTime and he sees my face, he won't remember me when I come back. i got family here. I won't be there with the holidays. But I have to know that it's worth it. Because upon this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail. And if I step off that rock, then I, I do not abide in the vine, John 15 talks about. And if I step off that rock, guess what? Lies, attack, steal, kill, and destroy his. Now I've opened up the doors for that. I've welcomed it in, almost saying, yeah, I want to step into disobedience and allow Satan to attack my life. Why? That's not who you're created to be. That's not your identity. You're a son. You're a daughter. You were meant to be in the house of the Lord. To follow Him, to walk in obedience, is as natural for Christians as anything else. It's our carnal thing that keeps us from doing that. And we're supposed to die to that. Upon this rock, Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Anybody tired? Anybody worn out? Anybody weary? Anybody feel like they're just beat up, burnt out? That every day they wake up and Satan's just hammering them. And they're praying. They're asking God for deliverance and they're just getting hammered. There's people in Columbia getting hammered. There's people across the street getting hammered by Satan. Because that's all he's worried about. Still, kill, destroy. Whatever it takes. Kill, steal, destroy. But God sent His only Son so that you may have life. Life abundantly. First John talks about he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. What if we thought like that? Every thought has the Son. Every intention of our heart has the Son. And then every action, every thought would have life. And we would live out of a place of life. And joy would be our strength. And we would overflow knowing that Whatever happens, just like John said, whether it be poverty, whether it be persecution, I've got life. What is a man? He can only take my body. This, this vessel, he can't take my salvation. He can't take the eternal life given to me by the Father. The armor of God says, put on your helmet of salvation. Start thinking that you are saved and it will deflect 
the attacks in your mind. Stop thinking that you're a sinner. You're a saint. You're the righteousness of Christ. Believe it. It says believers will lay their hands on the sick. Not evangelists, not miracle workers, not preachers. The believers will lay their hands on the sick and they shall be healed. They will, they will drink poison and it won't hurt them. They'll tread on snakes. Come on. Do we see that? Do we walk in that? I don't. I want to. I'm trying to get there. Let's go. Right? I'm trying to get there. But ah, it's here. The battle is here. It's between your ears. And if you allow your mind to be tainted with lies, you will never live in truth. So this morning, I want to, I want to do something. I want to see breakthrough here. I have 14 scriptures, and I'm going to read these scriptures one by one. And I guarantee somebody in this room, if not everybody, is going to hear the lie of the enemy say, that's not you. That's not you. Don't forget what you did last night. Don't forget how you spoke the other day. Don't forget that you disobeyed God when He asked you to do something. Don't you dare forget that. That's a lie. That's the enemy. And what I'm asking us to do is to take every thought captive this morning and put it on the cross because that's where it belongs. Every sin, every thought captive, we say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not lowly anymore. I'm righteousness. I'm the, I'm the glory. I'm the light of the world. All right. So this morning, if you, if you feel like some of these, that maybe you got some chains on your mind. Maybe you're, you're bound up in this lie that has so consumed your thoughts that patterns have been set in your mind that when you, something happens, you react immediately with the basis of a lie. I believe that God, when he said, have you seen my servant Job, was not saying that Job was righteous. He was looking at Job the way he created Job. And at the end, he restored Job to the way he was supposed to be. Job was just a man. But God saw him the way he made him, not the way he was. Not proudful. This morning, God sees you the way you are made to be as a son and a daughter. This morning, if you... if if when I say these scriptures, this is all scripture, it's all truth. Meditate on it day and night, and you'll be planted like by the river, and you will bear fruit each season. Your leaves will never wither, and you'll prosper in all you do. Abide in the vine. Stay in the word. Stay here. Think from here. Act from here. Live from here. And you will never wither. Psalms 1, Ezekiel 47. You'll never wither when you stay by the river. Okay. If you need to respond, I'm going to ask that Pastor John, Pastor Ashley, Twig, and Olivia be ready to pray with people. Um, if you could turn on just a little bit of music, that'd be great. I want this to be a time of prayer, self-reflection. The question is, is who are you? What does the Bible say about you? What does the lies of the enemy say about you? Galatians 3.26 says, I am a child of God. I don't care if your parents left you. I don't care if you've been adopted. Parents are long gone. Your Father in heaven, His will be done. 
you believe that? I am a child of God. John 15, 15 says, I am Jesus' friend. The same type of friend you got, you can sit with, you can laugh with, you go and hang out with, you live life with. I am Jesus' friend. Remember, if there's any lies coming in your mind right now, you you take every thought captive and you hold on to the truth of the word. One way I do this is when I struggle with lust. I'll be the first to admit it. When Satan tries to remind me that I'm a lustful man, I say, God, I thank you that you did not make me that way. And I thank you that you're changing me by your Holy Spirit power within me. Because that's not who I am. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, I am a whole new person with a whole new life. The old man is dead. The new man is sitting in the chair. The new woman is sitting in the chair. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, I am the place where God's Spirit dwells. You have a king inside of you. The Lord of hosts, the glory of the Lord lives in you. That's what scripture says about you. Don't listen to anything else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't weigh up to scripture. That's what it says about you. Ephesians 2.10 says, I am God's incredible work of art. I'm his masterpiece. You've got self-image issues. You're like me and you gain 20 pounds. You're still beautiful. God's, God created you. God don't make mistakes. He didn't speak you into existence. He took dirt with his own hands and formed you into existence. Out of everything in creation, you're the only thing he's put his hands to. You're his incredible work of art. 1 John 1 9 says, I am totally and completely forgiven. You know, Satan wants to remind us of our sins. He doesn't have any power, but when we believe that about ourselves, it gives him power. It becomes real. You are totally and completely forgiven. You know, your experiences should not dictate what you believe. What you believe should dictate your experiences. Sometimes we pray for healing and we don't see it and we see that as truth. Ah, it must have been the Lord's will. No. Bible says the believers will lay their hands on the sick. God says that he has taken our stripes for our transgressions. Let me tell you, that's truth. So I believe the truth of the word and I will allow it to come into fruition in my experiences. But I will not change what I believe if I don't see something. I won't change what I believe if people don't come to faith. Jeremiah preached for 40 years. Didn't see one convert. But did he ever change his belief in God? No. Because he knew who his father was. Who do you say that I am? Ephesians 4.26 says, I am created in God's likeness. 
You're the righteousness of God. He created you in his image. Not in Satan's. Not in flesh. Not in sin's image. In his image. Ephesians 2.5 says, I am spiritually alive. There's two wildernesses in the Bible. Two of them. One was brought on by disobedience. Forty years, none of them saw the promised land. Jesus enters the, the wilderness for 40 days and he comes out with the Holy Spirit power on his life with starting his ministry. You are spiritually alive. Don't believe the lie that you're in the wandering seasons of your life because you're not. You're in just the preparation for the power of God to come upon your life, just like Jesus. You are spiritually alive in Christ. Philippians 3.20 says, I am a citizen of heaven. Listen, I, will, I love Texas. I love America. But that's not where my citizenship is. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I will represent my nation, my country, my people well. I will represent my king well. Acts 1.8 says, I am God's messenger to the world. Don't believe the lie that you don't have anything to offer. Don't believe the lie that your story can't affect the lives of somebody because the word of God says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And if you don't share your testimony, people will be robbed of it because that's the power to overcome and live in victory. That's the power. Your story is important. It's a part of the body. It needs to be told. Don't believe the lie that you can't make disciples. Don't believe the lie that you can't evangelize. Matthew 5.13 says, I am the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It's worthless. It's thrown out. Satan wants you to believe that the church in America has lost its saltiness and we're no good anymore. God isn't going to fix this. That's a lie. And it can stay alive because I believe the truth that the word of God says that I am the salt of the earth. Two more. Matthew 5.14 says, I am the light of the world. We walk in places and we're sensitive, discerning, and we can feel the darkness around us. We can feel the hurting around us. But guess what? When you walk in a room and flip a light switch, what happens to darkness? It flees before it. It can't stay where light is because darkness is weaker than light. You are the light of Christ. You are the light of the world. When you walk into a place, light's on, darkness gone. Hope is there. Glory is there. Salvation today is the day of salvation. Why? Because you're there. You're a Christian. The Word of God lives in you. Jesus lives in you. Therefore, He's available to whoever is around you. Your sphere of influence has the light shining around it wherever you go. That's who you are. That's what the Bible says about you. Believe it. Stop living in lies. Believe the Word of God. Believe His words about you now. Last one. Romans 5, 8 tells us we are greatly loved we are greatly loved Romans 5 8 we didn't sign up 
as an enlisting into a military to go to war. You see, when Joshua, when he started taking the promised land, this is what he did. He put the tabernacle of the Lord in the middle. We learn this in our training. He put the tabernacle of the Lord in the middle of the camp. And then he grouped the tribes around the tabernacle. Why would you put family together? Because when the enemy attacks, you're going to fight so much harder for your family than you would for a stranger. If it's your wife, your kids there, your husband, you're going to fight. You are a son and a daughter, not an enlisted infantryman. Fight for your family. We're surrounded by God's tabernacle. Fight for your family. The Lord loves you. He wants to take the promised land. He doesn't want you wandering in the wilderness. See, there's two men. There's 12 sent in, right, originally. 10 came back and says, oh, there's giants in the land. Listen, we're about to go to Columbia. We're about to live. I'm going to live with five other Americans and two kids in one house. There's some giants. Okay? There's some giants. And they're only about two foot tall. (laughs) But it only takes one David to knock down a giant so that the armies can kill the Philistines. One David. So an army can be unleashed. I will not let some giants in the land dictate my belief in him. My experiences will not change my belief. I will go there and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm like Caleb. I feel like that's the story he's given me. God, give me that mountain. Give it to me. Because Bogota sits in the basin of a mountain range. And I'm claiming it. Give me that mountain. You are greatly loved by God. Please. Stop living in lies. Stop believing the lies about you because that's not who we are. It's not who God's made us to be. Die to that because that's not even what you're supposed to be in the first place. When you start living like this, guys, when you start believing like this, it becomes so much easier to let those things go because you realize that's not me anyways. It's not who I'm supposed to be anyways. That's okay. Get out of here. I'm going to live in this. I'm the light of the world. God's Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm the salt of the earth. I am loved by God. He is my father. I'm a son, not a slave to the gospel. This was my birthright. This is my inheritance that his spirit would come and live in me. Come on. We're going to war. We're going to war and it's going to be beautiful because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for tearing down strongholds. It's the truth of the word. You take your sword. You take your sword and you go to war and you believe every word in this because there's even an attack on truth. You know the armor of God was spoken in such a way that we get to see where Satan attacks? Yeah, he attacks our salvation by saying, are you sure you're saved? You know, you just sinned. You sure? He attacks there. He attacks our righteousness. Oh man, you just sinned again. Your morality, your righteousness is tainted. He says this is no longer truth. Our belt of truth is weakened because this, this has to be infallible. This was written by man. He says, your feet, wherever you walk, there's chaos. You don't bring peace. You're always quarreling with everybody. 
your faith is so weak, it's not even as big as a mustard seed, because if you had a mustard seed, then you would see mountains being moved. But obviously, you don't even have a mustard seed, so you're not seeing any mountains move. The sword of our spirit, the word of God, the power of our testimony. Uh, you've been in church your whole life. You were saved at five. You don't have a testimony. You must have been, sh- you got to have to be shot at or drug addict or something to have a real good testimony. Killed somebody and the Lord used you. I don't know. You don't have anything to offer anybody. Satan attacks our armor to weaken us. If we knew what our armor said, his lies would deflect off our shield of faith. His little darts wouldn't be able to get in because that's how they are. Little darts. If you need to pray with somebody to get delivered, if you need to break that stronghold of your mind the way you think, if you need to get set free this morning, I'm here, Pastor John's here, Pastor Ashley's here, two of my team members are here. We would love to pray with you. If you would like to talk to us about Columbia, there's a little stand in the back. Come talk to us. We'll tell you anything you want to know. If you want to hear my personal story, how I got to go to Columbia, come talk to me. Take me to lunch. I'm hungry. But if you need to believe who you are this morning and you need somebody to stand with you in prayer, I'm here. We're here. God is here. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And don't worry. I'll be with you wherever you go. One last thing. Sometimes we rob ourselves of knowing God because we get so focused on trying to experience God. And we think God must not be with me if I can't feel his presence in this moment. But that's not what truth says about it. He says he's with you wherever you go. So whether you feel him or not, he's there. Whether you can hear him speak or not, he's there. And he will be there because he is faithful. And that's who he is. He is good. And he is your father. And I don't think any good father would leave his child alone. Or give him a snake when he asks for a fish. Or a rock when he asks for bread. That's not our father. That's not who we are. And I won't believe it for a second. So if you need prayer this morning, as I close this out in prayer, hang around. We'll be here. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just give you glory this morning. God, we thank you that we are able to recognize the stranger's voice this morning and say, ha, not today. We're following the shepherd. Father, make us sensitive. Take the calluses of our hearts, God, and and rip it open like you did for me so that I could hear your voice today so that I could follow you and live in truth and walk in obedience God your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Father I pray for everybody in this room God that they would be able to discern better after today that they would use the word of God to test everything that comes into their mind Father whether it be lies whether it be things trying to get back in because when you came in, you cleaned house and you filled it up. And these things are just trying to get back in. They're not in there anymore because I'm a new creation, God. We are new creation. Father, move in this place, blow in this place, bless these people, God. Father, restore them, revive them, give them joy 
and let it be bubbling over with abundant life today. Father, thank you for Columbia. Thank you for sending this small team to Columbia to to preach your gospel, to tell of all you've done, and to help bring identity of sons and daughters back to them. Lord, I pray that the ones who are called to be here would do the same thing. Lord, we love you. We give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you this morning. You guys are dismissed.